An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high ranking officer in the Secret Service. An assassin comes to town, a six part podcast. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the serialized audiobook Pandemic. Book three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash pandemic. Chapter 8. Statistically Significant. The small table still smelled slightly of spilled scotch. A few seals were walking around the cargo hold, checking various things and keeping busy. But Tim had the table to himself, plenty of room for his laptop and a cup of coffee. On the laptop, a video chat window showed the face of Kimber Lacey, a CDC staffer who'd been assigned as his mainland liaison. Tim could access the databases remotely, but it helped to have a direct contact at the CDC's headquarters in Druid Hills, Georgia. Dr. Feely, the latest results of your data mining algorithm are coming in. Kimber said. She had big, dark eyes and deep dimples at the corners of her mouth. Kimber, I have to wonder about your life choices. She looked concerned. What do you mean? I mean, with a face like that, why aren't you in Hollywood making movies? She shook her head, but also blushed a little. Dr. Feely, can we just go over the results? Sure. Let's hope there aren't any. Let's hope. A pattern of medication consumption had revealed the Pinckney's advanced level of infection. If the vector had somehow escaped the flotilla and made it to the mainland, the same consumption patterns would likely hold true. Through Kimber, Tim had programmed the CDC's database to track spikes in the purchase of cough suppressant, pain medication, and fever reducer. Kimber typed with her mouth open. Damn, that girl had pretty lips. Here we are. They just came in. Let's see. She stopped talking. She just sat there. Kimber, what is it? She blinked, looked up at the camera, those dark eyes widening with fright. There's a geospecific spike. Her words rattled with tension. I read a 900% increase in cough suppressant, 1100 in pain meds, and a 2,000% jump in fever reducer. Tim said nothing. He didn't have to, because the numbers said it all. The infection had escaped quarantine. Could Ching's team on Black Manitou have fucked something up? That seemed impossible. Tim had seen the facilities there, knew how foolproof they were. Then how? Had something floated away from the Los Angeles, drifted for miles until it was picked up by some random boater? He swallowed. There was still hope. Maybe this was an isolated outbreak. A small town in Wisconsin, perhaps. Something that Longworth's semi-illegal DST soldiers could isolate and quarantine. Tim closed his eyes. Before he spoke, he gave in to superstition. 
God, please don't let it be a major city. Where? She didn't want to say it any more than he wanted to hear it. The one I just read you. That's the biggest one. It's from Chicago. Tim's balls felt like they wanted to shrivel up and hide somewhere in his belly. Chicago, the third largest city in America, the very heart of the Midwest. The biggest one? There are others? She nodded. Statistically significant spikes in Benton Harbor, Michigan, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and... She looked straight into the camera, dead into Tim's eyes. New York City. Minneapolis? Chicago? New York? It was already too late. Nothing could stop it from spreading. Send me the data. He looked at the numbers himself, hoping Kimber had suddenly contracted a case of the stupids, hoping she was wrong. She wasn't. Forty-odd hours had passed since the Pinckney and the Brashear went to the bottom. The statistical spikes indicated the Chicago infection had begun shortly after that battle. The second largest spike came from Benton Harbor, a town on the east coast of Lake Michigan. That infection looked to have started just a few hours after Chicago's began. New York's and Minneapolis's three to four hours after that. It had begun in Chicago. Benton Harbor was only two hours away. Based on what Tim knew of incubation periods, someone could have driven there from Chicago. That matched what he saw in the data. But New York? A twelve-hour drive. The level of spikes indicated New York was only six to eight hours behind Chicago in the level of infection. That meant one thing, and one thing only. A carrier had been in an airport. Chapter 9 Murder Steve Stanton sat up and turned on the light. He squinted, blinked. Was it still night? The heavy curtains shut out all traces of the outside. He looked at the alarm clock on the little nightstand next to his hotel bed. 11.52. He squinted, saw a little red light at the bottom left of the time, next to white letters that read A.M. 11.52 in the morning. He'd slept all day, all night, and into the next day. Were hangovers supposed to last this long? He reached to the nightstand and grabbed the bottle of chloroseptic he'd paid a bellboy to bring him. He opened his mouth, sprayed the cooling, numbing mist against the back of his throat. It helped a little. Steve wondered how Cooper and Jeff were doing. Maybe they'd already checked out of the hotel and were headed back to Michigan. He'd wanted to tell Cooper what had really happened. Maybe get some help in case Bo Pan came back. Steve had worked it all out in his head the night before, thought he was safe. But maybe he wasn't. Should he call the police? If he did, would that put his family in jeopardy? And for that matter, would the police turn him over to the CIA? Maybe even send him to China? But what if Cooper had contacted Bo Pan? What if Cooper and Jeff had given Bo Pan Steve's room number? What if all three of them were on their way to kill Steve right now? He sucked in a big breath. That was a crazy thought. It didn't even make sense. How could Cooper reach Bo Pan? Steve didn't need to make up illogical fears about Cooper and Jeff, not when there were plenty of very real things to worry about. Like the small matter of a dead Navy diver. Murder. An act of war. 
some hero Steve had turned out to be. What was he going to do? Maybe he was missing something, not thinking it through because he felt so awful. He sprayed again, letting the cool feeling spread through his throat. That was enough for now. He needed rest. Steve put his head back down on the pillow. He closed his eyes. The hero slept. Chapter 10 Leadership Murray had never heard the situation room this quiet. The only sound came from a few monitors that played newscasts at low volume. He couldn't hear anyone typing. No one talked. No one cleared their throats. No one even moved. Blackman folded her hands together, rested her forearms on the tabletop. How did it get off the flotilla? When she got mad, when the cameras weren't around, her stare burned with intensity. She looked predatory. We don't know, Madam President, Murray said. He wasn't going to sugarcoat it. The predator's stare bore into him. Three cities, she said. Chicago, Minneapolis, New York. Is that all? And western Michigan, Murray said. Dr. Feely thinks there will be more. He thinks a carrier went through one of the Chicago airports. She still had that presidential look about her. But how long would that visage stay at the fore? The disease had broken quarantine, spread to three areas of very dense population. Things were about to get bad in a hurry, and on her watch. She couldn't blame Gutierrez for this one. Do we know who the carrier is? Can we trace the travel pattern? Murray shook his head. No, Madam President. At this point, we have no idea who the carrier is or where the carrier went. Hands still folded. Blackman tapped her left pointer finger against the back of her right hand. What do Dr. Cheng and Dr. Montoya think? Murray felt a little embarrassed. Dr. Montoya is still on the Coronado, so she can't help us much right now. Margaret was there and mad as hell. She had predicted the infection would escape, said they needed to be preparing a Hydra strategy, and Murray hadn't backed her play. After all the time she'd been right, he doubted her. Now he was paying the price. Margaret was out of the picture, which meant he had to rely on the man who, frankly, wasn't in her league. Dr. Cheng thinks we're now in a race against time. The vector is in the wild. He said the patterns show it's highly contagious, on a level unlike anything we've ever seen. The only thing we can do to mitigate exposure is to inoculate as many people as possible as fast as possible. Blackman stared at Murray like she wanted to pin the blame on him. But she knew as well as he did that she couldn't politic her way out of this one. Americans were going to die. What remained to be seen was how many. The president turned to Admiral Porter. What's the status of inoculating our troops? The first batches of inoculant had come to Washington, of course. Murray had drank a bottle of the nasty stuff himself. The military was next in line. If the people with guns became converted, that would create another level of problems. Admiral Palmer rattled off a litany of bases. The biggest of them, Fort Hood, Norfolk, Fort Bragg, and a few others, were inoculating their own troops and already creating starter cultures for other bases. Within three days, five at the most, Every soldier, sailor, and airman on U.S. soil would be protected. 
That was, of course, if the infection wasn't already spreading through some of those garrisons. We've also ordered all bases on foreign soil to lock up tight, Porter said. No one in and no one out. They are already constructing their own culturing plans. As soon as starter cultures are available, we'll ship them. We project eight to ten days until all foreign bases are fully inoculated. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. GZM Shows and the creators of Six Minutes are rolling out their newest audio adventure with the podcast Discovering Dad. A cautious single dad with a secret past and his rebellious kids embark on a thrilling quest complete with hidden treasure, villains, and a family curse. New episodes of Discovering Dad roll out weekly starting June 11th on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show so you never miss an episode or listen early and ad-free as a GZM Show subscriber. Go to gzmshows.com to learn more. Blackman turned to Nancy Whitaker, Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Nancy, what's the status of our domestic inoculation production? The military took care of its own logistics. For everything else, inoculation management fell to Whitaker. So far, she had been unflappable. It didn't seem to faze her that the health and safety of an entire nation had somehow fallen into her lap. Trucks are already shipping finished product on the East Coast and in the Midwest, Whitaker said. The former Georgia governor had never bothered to train away her drawl. Seattle started brewing almost immediately. 50,000 doses have already been delivered to final FEMA distribution points. In the next 24 hours, Madam President, we believe all participating breweries will at least be at 50% production capacity, and full distribution will be underway in all major cities. Blackman's deadly gaze swept the room. 24 hours, she said. How many Americans will already be infected by then? No one had an answer. Murray couldn't even guess, so he stayed quiet. 
Blackman stared down at the table. Stared so hard, Murray had to wonder if the table could feel as intimidated as he did. We have to slow the disease's spread, she said. Shut down air travel. All heads turned to a short, fat, bald man who stood in the corner of the packed situation room. As Secretary of Transportation, Dennis Shaneworth needed to be present, but wasn't important enough to merit a seat at the table. Right away, Madam President, he said. Chicago, Minneapolis, and New York. Blackman looked at him. Shut it down everywhere. Cancel all civilian passenger flights immediately. Allow cargo flights only if they are needed to distribute the inoculant. Do it now. The room's silence vanished as hands flew to phones and people scrambled to carry out her orders. Murray felt a spark of hope. So far, the only data they had was a run on drugstores for cough drops and pain reliever. Some politicians would have waited a half day, maybe more, just to be sure a shutdown was necessary. He hadn't expected Blackman to move so decisively. She again looked at Murray. She curled a finger at him, calling him over. Murray stood and walked to his commander-in-chief. Chicago, she said quietly. That's the start of this? Murray nodded. The word is epicenter, Madam President. She let out a slow breath. Up this close, he saw the fear in her eyes. Chicago is the epicenter. Should I have Whitaker prioritize inoculant shipments there? Yes, Murray said. As much as she can spare. Dr. Feely figures we're in day two of the exposure, but... He leaned closer, so only she could hear him. Madam President, may I be frank? You mean there's a time you show restraint? She closed her eyes, as if that might protect her from more bad news. <sighs> yes, tell me. According to Feely's statistical models, the majority of Chicago's population is either already infected or will be before we can help. My honest opinion is that the city is fucked. Her eyes opened. The predator's stare faded away, at least as much as it could for her. Find ways to increase production, Murray, she said. I want a list of any factory in the United States, Canada, or Mexico that cultivates yeast for any purpose. We'll find a way. I won't give up on Chicago. Blackman sat straight, faced the room. That brief moment of genuine empathy vanished. I'm declaring a federal emergency under the Stafford Act, she said. I want SEC, HHS, and FEMA to put together a task force to run this inoculation. Let's get Congress and SCOTUS notified. Director Longworth? She again turned to face him. Is Montoya safe to travel? He shook his head. Cheng quarantined the Coronado for two weeks to make absolutely sure no one on board is infected. Margaret needs to stay there. The president silently mouthed the word, Damn it. Then get me Cheng. I want him here. She turned to Porter. Admiral, I want the Joint Chiefs and the National Security Staff to notify Congress of my intent and desire for a total mobilization of reserve forces. Blackman took in a breath, as if to make a grand statement, then seemed to remember something. She again turned to her chief of staff and spoke quietly, but Murray was close enough to hear. Get the speechwriters 
In two hours, I want to address Congress, and I want every network carrying it live. Prepare that footage Montoya sent of the sailors from the Brashear. People need to see what this plague does to the human body. Go. The chief of staff scurried off. Blackman put her shoulders back and her chest out. More true leader than pure politician. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't act now, we are quite possibly facing a worst-case scenario. The nation is counting on us. Murray started dialing. He had much to do and little time in which to do it. Chapter 11 All Channels Jeff lifted his head from the pillow. Dude, is that the president? Get that Republican off the TV, will you? Cooper nodded. His head felt heavy, full of the same goop that he blew out of his nose every five minutes. He used the remote to change the hotel TV's channel, from channel 3 to channel 4, and there again was President Blackman. Channel 5, Blackman. Channel 6, Blackman. She's on all the big networks, Cooper said. He tried ESPN, only to find the same thing. Holy shit, dude, she's on all the channels. She's a stinky, hate-filled, nasty... Hold on a sec, Cooper said. This has to be something big. Jeff propped himself up on one elbow to watch. I already feel like a bag of assholes, he said. And now this... I hope it's not another Detroit. Hey, Coop, you feel sick? Cooper gestured to the pile of Kleenex on the little lampstand next to his bed. Yeah, I do. He pressed the volume button. An unprecedented threat upon our great nation, and one that requires unprecedented action. My fellow Americans, we are mobilizing a swift and thorough response. I am in constant contact with the world's leaders, Every nation on Earth is working together to win this battle. The camera angle shifted, panning across a half bowl of applauding politicians. Was that Congress? Cooper could never remember if that was the House, the Senate, or if they all met in some special room for things like this. What he did know was all the politicians looked the same. Rich fuckers who raped the system. The only differences between them being ties and dresses of red or blue. A news ticker ran across the bottom of the screen. Infectious agent that resulted in the Detroit disaster identified. Scientists have discovered way to inoculate against the infection. President Blackman claims disease will be wiped from the face of the earth. Holy shit, Cooper said. It is another Detroit. Jeff flopped his head back into the pillow. Told you. Holler if they say Chicago, otherwise I don't give a shit. I'm going back to sleep. I feel like I got face-fucked by a rabid buffalo. The applause died down. Blackman continued. Even as I speak to you now, factories all over America are collaborating in the largest unified manufacturing initiative since World War II. Distributors... Shipping companies and grocery store chains are all cooperating with FEMA to bring you the medicine that will keep you safe. Over 500 corporate sponsors have signed up to fund this initiative. More join the cause every hour. We are faced with a challenge to not only our country, but to every person on our planet. And with God's help, 
America is taking the lead to protect the human race. The audience cheered again, louder this time. At least some of them did. Cooper didn't follow politics, but it looked like only the Republicans were standing. The still-seated Democrats applauded politely. Cooper looked at Jeff. Protect the human race? Is this even bigger than Detroit? Jeff shrugged. He didn't seem to notice the yellow bit of snot dangling from his nose. The applause faded. Politicians sat back down. Blackman continued. I can't stress this enough. The Surgeon General and the Centers for Disease Control urge you to cooperate with local distribution centers to get the treatment. The emergency broadcast system will be transmitting delivery days and locations. There will be enough for everyone. Until you receive your medication, limit contact with others and stay indoors as much as possible. Blackman made a fist and banged it once on the podium. All the naysayers who claimed that American manufacturing was dead are about to see how wrong they were. Other nations are following our lead, producing their own medicine. And what they are producing began here. American ingenuity is gone. I don't think so. The Republicans stood. They roared their approval. Some of the Democrats begrudgingly stood as well. Jeff let out a huff. <laughs> so the world is in danger, and she turns it into a campaign speech. This from a woman who doesn't want universal health care? Whatever. Blackman held up both hands, gave the crowd her trademark half-smile. She looked confident and excited, but not too much of either. The applause died down again. Let me say, I do not fault my predecessor or his party for allowing things to come to this point. These are exceptional times, not only in the history of our nation, but also of the world. Together, we will forever end the greatest threat the planet Earth has ever faced. Man, she's good, Cooper said. Something new is happening, and she still manages to imply that Gutierrez opened up Pandora's box in the first place. She's been president for two years, Jeff said. Whatever happens now is on her. Yeah, right. Four years into Gutierrez's term, you were still blaming his Republican predecessor for the crappy economy. Give me a break, Jeff. With you, the Republicans are always at fault, and the Democrats never do anything wrong. Jeff raised a hand, gave a thumbs up. Now you're understanding how things work, bro. Turn that thing off. Turn it off? There was some kind of world-shaking shit going down, and Jeff wanted to nap? On the TV, Blackman grew more serious, more solemn. Now I must show you some very disturbing footage. This footage underscores the reason we must all work together in this inoculation effort. This is footage from... Coop! Cooper jumped. Jeff had screamed the word. Cooper turned. Jeff propped himself up on one elbow. I told you to turn it off! You trying to fuck with me or something? His lip curled up, like it was all he could do not to stand up and smash Cooper's head into the TV. Cooper didn't know what to say. Blackman continued to babble, but Cooper wasn't paying any attention. He used the remote to turn the TV off. Dude, just take it easy, okay? 
Jeff's lip returned to normal. He blinked a few times. The hate left his eyes. Oh, wow, man, he said. Sorry about that. This bug has me in a shit-ass mood, I guess. Cooper shrugged. Don't worry about it. He felt a wave of relief. For a second, he thought his best friend was going to get out of that bed and come at him. Jeff rubbed at his face. No, it's not okay. I can't talk to you like that. Sorry. He looked up and forced a smile. So that shit they were talking about on TV, at medicine. When do we have to take whatever it is they're passing out? I don't know, Cooper said. You want me to turn the TV back on? No. Whatever it is, it's not going to be here in the next six hours. I'm going to get some more sleep. (laughs) Really awesome vacation in the Windy City, eh? My kind of town. Old Blue Eyes was full of shit, if you ask me. Jeff laughed, which quickly turned into a heavy, ripping cough that curled his body into a fetal position. Cooper plucked a pair of Kleenex from the box and offered them. Jeff had his left hand over his mouth, but reached out with his right to take the tissues. He pressed them to his mouth as the cough racked him again. He rolled to his back. Oh, fuck, Coop. That shit hurts. Jeff pulled the Kleenex away from his mouth and looked at it. Amid a glob of greenish-yellow were bright streaks of red. Dude, Cooper said, that's not good. Jeff balled up the Kleenex and tossed it away. He waved a hand as if brushing away Cooper's thoughts. (laughs) Ain't the first time I've coughed up a little blood, bro. Don't worry about it. He rolled to his side, rested his head on the pillow. I'm going back to sleep. Turn off the lights, man. If you make any more noise, I'm going to hurt you. Cooper froze. Was Jeff joking or threatening? It didn't sound like a joke. Cooper stared for a moment, once again suddenly aware of the size difference between them. Jeff was bigger, stronger, and Jeff knew how to fight. Cooper slowly reclined on the bed, careful not to make too much noise. Maybe he didn't feel like he'd been face-fucked by a rabid buffalo, but he sure as hell didn't feel like singing and dancing either. He was exhausted. Sleep would be good. And maybe when he woke up, Jeff would be back to normal. Chapter 12 Guinea Pig Polyus Klimas sat at the spa's conference table. He stared at a blank screen, waiting for a call. Once the call began, he'd get one minute. Even that much was a blessing, a courtesy done for him by Murray Longworth. Polyus had lost men before, five so far, all on missions that had never been announced, never been recorded. Every one of those deaths had been hard. Each time he'd questioned his leadership abilities, wondered if he could have done something different to bring that man home alive. But this was the hardest of all. Longworth had needed a volunteer. Since Levinson couldn't fight, Paulius gave the man first dibs. Levinson understood that if he didn't go, another seal would go in his place. So Levinson had accepted. Now Paulius was about to hear the results. The screen flared to life. He found himself looking at Levinson, 
in a hospital bed surrounded by clear glass walls, but bright-eyed and smiling. Commander, Levinson said. He saluted. Paulius returned the salute. Some of his pent-up stress bled away. You look good for a lab animal, Paulius said. What have they told you? Looks like that awful crap Dr. Feelygood Brood actually works. I'm 18 hours in. If I was infected, I'd probably have a sore throat, fever, and aches, but I feel fine. Other than where I was shot, I mean. That still hurts like a bitch. They said painkillers could mask infection symptoms, so this little piggy gets none. More of the stress eased. Paulius hadn't realized he'd carried the pressure in his chest. It suddenly felt much easier to breathe. Levinson seemed fine. More than that, the mission to recover Feely, Montoya, and their research had turned out to be critical after all. Even though the infection had somehow escaped the task force, he and his men had made a difference. The screen beeped. Time was up. Paulius saluted. Your courage is immeasurable, Roger. If you don't turn into a plant, drinks are on me. The wounded man returned the salute. As long as it's something besides what feeling it makes, I'll take you up on that offer. The image blinked out. Paulius stared at the blank screen. He and his men had twelve more days of quarantine, as did Feely, Otto, Montoya, and the Coronado's crew. He'd given his men a few hard-earned days off, but no more. It was time to start combat drills. He and his seals were immune. If the shit hit the fan, they might be called upon once again. They would be ready. You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My grand says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a story glass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you want a person dead, you call a hitman. If you want a monster dead, you call Lincoln Franks. But you better be able to pay the price he asks because Lincoln doesn't work for free. Pay to slay, bitches. Slay Season 2 is the current season of Scott Sigler Slices, a fiction podcast with dark tales hacked from the mind of a number one New York Times bestselling author. Slay is a foul-mouthed, monster-killing, drug-addled anti-hero story that's John Wick meets Buffy meets Breaking Bad. Slay Season 1 is complete and waiting for you in the feed, as is Scott's short story anthology, Blood is Red. Scott Sigler Slices is the world's longest-running fiction podcast, 19 years and counting, with new episodes dropping every Sunday. Get Scott Sigler Slices on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 